Hello and welcome to our BMJ Clinical Podcast. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. I help look after BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. This podcast is about Lassa fever. The purpose is to help you recognise, report and refer affected patients. Our story starts in 1969 with a missionary nurse who was working in a hospital in Nigeria. She developed a fever which just wouldn't go away and she eventually died of the disease. She was working in a small town called Lhasa in Borno State, Nigeria. Nearly 50 years later, outbreaks of Lhasa fever continue in Borno State. There is ongoing conflict there, which makes it a bad place for this to happen. But I suspect that our expert for this podcast, Dr. John Shefflin, is going to tell us that there's no good place to have an outbreak of Lhasa fever. Dr. Shefflin is Assistant Professor of Paediatrics and Internal Medicine at the Section of Infectious Diseases, Tulane University School of Medicine in New Orleans. So, John, let's start off. Could you tell us what exactly is Lassa fever? Sure, and thank you for having me. Uh, Lassa fever is a, an infectious disease caused by the virus, Lassa virus. It's a, an arena virus, which is uh, related most commonly people may know of lymphocytic choreomeningitis virus. Uh, but Lassa is found um, in West Africa, mainly in Nigeria, and then the West African countries of Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia. Uh, and it's carried by the mastomese rodent um, that is very commonly found around houses in very rural areas in that part of the world. So could you tell us what type of rodent is that? It's called the mastomese natalensis. It's a, about the a size of a small rat, and it's, it's very commonly found in rural areas of all across Africa, actually. Um, and it likes to live around houses. It's considered a peri-domestic um, rodent that likes to burrow into people's houses and eat the food that they leave lying around. Okay, okay, thank you. And how would you recognize an affected patient? Well, that's actually one of the most difficult parts about Lhasa because in the early stages of disease, it looks like um, just about any other febrile illness. It can be confused with influenza in uh, West Africa. It's very similar to malaria as well as typhoid fever. So recognition is actually one of the most challenging uh, parts of the disease. And tell me, what symptoms uh, do patients typically suffer from? Sure. So when people are in the very early stages of disease, it's very common for them to complain merely of intense fatigue, headaches, uh, pain behind the eyes is quite common. And then as the disease progresses, it uh, people will complain of a very, very intense sore throat is quite common. And uh, doctors will recognize uh, conjunctivitis is quite common. Um, like many other diseases, people often have some diarrhea, but it's not usually very significant. Uh, and then after several more days, maybe uh, six days into the illness, one of the most classic signs of Lhasa is the development of head and neck edema. That's uh, often followed quite quickly by um, the bleeding symptoms uh, that, we, that we commonly associate with Lhasa. 
Uh, but those, it's not a, a massive bleeding. It's usually merely oozing around the gums, um, oozing at injection sites or um, IV cannula sites. Uh, some patients do develop some GI bleeding. Uh, among women, vaginal bleeding is also common. And then those patients will progress on to um, seizures, coma, and then unfortunately the mortality rate still remains quite high. Thank you. And what tests would you request? So that, that's also a really challenging part. Unfortunately, right now there are no commercially available tests in Europe or the United States. There are several in development. But right now, testing really needs to be done at, um, by the public health authorities. So in the United States, that's done by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, in the UK, it's done by Public Health England. Uh, but in, uh, those institutions will run a PCR test to determine if somebody is positive or negative. Okay, and what is the mainstay of treatment? So really the only current uh, currently available treatment is um, IV ribavirin. Um, so right now the, the current uh, protocol is to start IV ribavirin pretty quickly. There are published dosing protocols. Um, a lot of hospitals unfortunately don't have IV ribavirin readily available. So that's another reason to quickly contact your public health authority if you're suspicious of uh, LASA. Um, and, but one thing to keep in mind is sort of the urgency of diagnosis is that there's quite good published data indicating that if you treat people um, after they've been ill for seven days, the efficacy of ribavirin is quite low. So it's really imperative to treat begin treatment within the first six days of symptoms. Okay, thank you. That's, that's very clear. And what isolation measures should you take? So Lassa fever is a quite contagious uh, infectious disease. It's been known to cause quite a number of nosocomial outbreaks in endemic areas. So we still recommend, and uh, as does the CDC and Public Health England, recommend that really stringent isolation procedures are um, instituted. So patients should be placed in a negative pressure room if one is available. And uh, healthcare workers entering the room should really wear the same kind of personal protective equipment that we recommend for um, Ebola patients. A lot of people I'm sure are familiar with all the PPE used in the Ebola outbreak. And that's what we use um, at our uh, research site in Kenema, Sierra Leone. Okay, great. And I'm guessing because of all that, you need to refer the patient to a, a, a specialist unit. Exactly, right. You really want to refer these patients for many reasons to uh, an institution that's comfortable treating these highly contagious uh, diseases. Uh, and maybe I'll back up and just clarified that the, if you do have a patient uh, in your care before you transfer them, you really should wear eye protection, um, an N95 mask, as well as um, either the coveralls that you see people wearing in the, that were working in the Ebola outbreak, 
or at least some sort of impermeable gown, disposable gown that covers the majority of your body. Okay, thank you. And should you report the disease? And if so, how should you do this? Absolutely, yes. Uh, that it is, I, I'm, I know it's a reportable disease in the United States. I'm sure it is in the UK as well. And you do need to report it um, if you suspect it. Mainly, that will then facilitate testing um, and the acquisition of drug for treatment. Okay, great. Thank you. And tell us about differentials. What are the common differential diagnosis of Lassa fever? So keep in mind, uh, it's, it's important to keep in mind that people who may have Lassa fever are most likely going to be travelers, or at least people who have returned from uh, West Africa, maybe visiting friends and family. So those people are also um, at risk of having diseases such as malaria and typhoid. So those would be the the two most common things on the differential. Uh, Influenza also would be high on the differential. So those travelers are not only at risk for having Lhasa, but they're also at risk of having one or more of those diseases on the differential at the same time. So we always recommend that uh, if you suspect Lhasa, you also immediately uh, do testing for malaria and typhoid. Okay, thank you. And what are the common pitfalls in the diagnosis and management of Lhasa fever? From, from our experience, one of probably the most common pitfall is not thinking of Lhasa in a returning traveler or not questioning patients about their activities while overseas. Um, That often leads to a delay in diagnosis. Sometimes patients are a little reluctant to reveal all their activities or potential exposures. Um, But so delay in diagnosis is probably the greatest pitfall. Okay, thank you. And are there any other questions that you sometimes get asked about Lassa fever by doctors? And if so, what are the answers to those questions? So one of the most common uh, questions we get uh, from other physicians as well as patients is, when is a recovering uh, Lassa patient no longer uh, able to spread the disease? Uh, and and I think that's a, a totally fair question. So, as we what we do is re- serial testing. So as soon as people have cleared the virus from their blood, we do not consider them contagious anymore. We usually keep them in some sort of isolation until they've completed the ten day course of ribavirin therapy, um, and then they can go about the majority of their. Uh, activities once they're discharged from hospital. However, there are some documented cases of sexual transmission of WASA when the index patient is in the convalescent phase. So uh, we do recommend that all uh, WASA survivors practice safe sex for uh, six months using some sort of barrier protection, such as condoms, um, and that they refrain from sharing things like toothbrushes, uh, razors, etc. 
to prevent the risk of uh, asymptomatic shedding that may occur. Okay, thank you. That's that's very helpful. And last question: If you had one single piece of advice to give to healthcare professionals about Lassa fever, what would it be? I think the best advice that uh, healthcare professionals can can take is to always be aware of um, people's travel history and um, and what they've been doing overseas. So to be honest, one of the, the parts of my job as an infectious disease physician that I like the most is questioning people about what they do overseas when they travel. Um, I personally find it always interesting to see what people do, but you can really learn a lot about their potential exposures and risk factors by really delving into the specifics of their activities, where they traveled, who they visited, what they did while they were there. Um, Did they attend funerals? Um, That's a very, very common uh, scenario for travelers uh, returning home with Lhasa is that they were they traveled back to their native country to attend a funeral for a family member and um, became ill on the way home or after they've returned home. So physicians really should be as inquisitive, inquisitive as they possibly can when it comes to uh, talking to returning travelers. Okay, thank you very much, John. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognise, report and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click on the link in this podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning and look at the content on Lassa Fever. Thank you once again.